0: The caravan, three days before the departure of the fateful Lakewall caravan. The mage Eiffaire stepped out of her cart and breathed in. A mixed aroma of street food, sweaty bodies and stained wood filled her nose. The smell of a caravan. She hopped down from her raised carriage and onto the thick green grass. It was strange having to hop down from a carriage. It was strange having a carriage. For all the trips she had made across the continent via the caravans, she had never once paid for private accommodations, but now she could afford it. How could she refuse? Although the caravan was not a favorite of most, and more so a necessity, Yfair secretly enjoyed it. What could she say? She loved traveling. The caravans are a way of life for most people on the continent. The Church of Deepstone considered the safety of its empire's trade routes critical to its survival. So, it instituted the caravans. Large groups of people moving under extreme church protection between designated points. While traveling with a caravan, you are unequivocally under church protection. It's close quarters and long journeys, but it is safe. Even the mages use them. It's dangerous for a consortium mage to travel in the wilds. The exchanges are too high to use their configurations for extended periods of time. Even a run-in with a group of bandits, or something stranger, could take a turn for the worse. Any of the more well-off travelers in the caravans have access to all sorts of lavish and oddly engineered carriages and carts, some spanning as high as two stories, that trundle away in the long procession. From a distance, the caravan is a colorful, bloated snake weaving through the jagged woods, chasms, and tundras of the wilds. There is a direct correlation between the church's caravans and the rise to power of their longest-running nemesis. Under the treaty, mages are guaranteed safe travel to the many cities and towns of the continent, for the standard fee, of course. More access means more students. More students means more power. And that's why Yphair was outdoing doing something she loved, travel, and something she hated, recruiting. She walked through the caravan, searching for the two students she needed to talk to before departure today. Previously The Bishop Granite, the ruler of Lakewall, has long been involved in the seedier aspects of his wall and surrounding areas, but a recent party that left a large majority of his cohorts dead has drawn the rest into a sinister plot. The plot we do not know, but this we do know The people who have gone missing at his party have not got unnoticed. But life goes on, and the caravans continue to travel between the colonized areas of the continent. Chapter 1. The Mage Yphair Yphair sat in her carriage, her blinds closed, a cup of tea in hand. Despite the many books she had managed to procure during this trip, she ignored their calls and enjoyed something very rare in the caravan. Silence. The books could wait. She'd already waited long enough for them, What was another afternoon? Besides, she dared not open them while the wardens were still roaming the caravan in such high numbers. A better task for the evening, when the guard was lighter. The caravans are split into sections. Telling which section you're in is as simple as examining the dress of the people, the complexity of their carriages, and how many wardens are present. Each section is well protected, but the head might as well be a small battalion. The church stated it was for the protection of the wealthier patrons, and they charged as such. But Yphair knew better than that. She knew that the slate used the caravans to ferry documents, books, and artifacts between their archive vaults. The slates were ever so particular about their books. This was Efer's first time ever riding in the head. From this vantage point, Yphair could see the carriage of the slate, a rolling vault, truly a fitting name. The entire carriage was constructed from a thick, reinforced metal and pulled by a whole team of massive horses. It was rare that the church experimented with new configurations of their stones, but Efer imagined there must be something unnatural done to both reinforce the vault as well as to allow that thing to move. The door to the rolling vault opened, and two slates stepped out. They wore their distinctive long-flowing robes and eye-covering veils. One was in green, the other in red. A large gentleman, not wearing the robes of a slate, but the uniform of a caravan warden, also stepped out. Ah, yes. fair recognized the man, though she did not know his name. The Caravan Leader. One of the few people allowed into the rolling vaults beside a slate. There was a reason for this, of course. The church held the only complete and up-to-date set of maps of the wilds. So, to safely navigate them, a slate was needed. The slate are very particular about who views their documents. Only the caravan leader, while in the presence of a slate, are allowed to view these maps. As far as the slate are concerned, this is for everyone else's own protection. It's forbidden by the church for common people to wander the wilds. There are settlements and towns that still survive, but they want nothing to do with the church, and the church wants nothing to do with them. Yfair had to respect the church's method, though. They only had to start the rumors, and every other soul traveling kept them alive around campfires and in taverns. Tales of giant beasts, ancient tombs, eldritch powers. Those were stories that took a life of their own. They were well-crafted stories. Even Yfair had to wonder which parts were fables and which parts were real. She had seen stranger things than sovereigns, She brought her steaming cup of tea to her lips and blew gently. It was odd drinking the tea in privacy, she had to admit. It was nice. It was also short-lived. There was a knock at the door. She groaned. Who could it possibly be? She sat in quiet contemplation about whether or not to open the door. Why ruin a perfectly good streak? The knocking became more frantic. Well, she was going to have to leave her carriage anyway to go teach the children their midday lesson. Who is it? she asked. Urgent matters, miss, a voice said from the other side. She opened the door to find a short, balding man. He wore a plain black robe, a black, wide-brimmed hat, and had a messy, grey beard. His only adornment was a wooden pipe that billowed greasy blue smoke and a plain silver chain around his neck. "'Ah, madame. Good day. So lucky you are, I caught you. What an opportunity I have today, but time is of the. He pulled the pipe from his mouth and stared. "'Effair? Slar, Is that you?' The man looked around at the cart, visibly confused, before turning back and squinting at Effair. "'Effair of the Seventh Bond? What in the apostle? What are you doing riding up here amongst the nobility?' "'You didn't... you didn't go and become a city mage, did you?' I'm trying to get some peace and quiet in these damned caravans for once in my life. And what exactly is a professor of Eero doing knocking on random carriage doors? Well, I'm no longer a professor. Rikislar reached down and pulled the silver chain from the folds of his robe so Efer could see the bauble at the end. Two dark grey-coloured iron cubes covered in dots. Dice. Of course. Slar had always been one of the stranger and more opportunistic mages at Eero. The House of the Die. You think I'm a sitting mage and you've sold your soul to the most useless house in the consortium. I'd rather work for a noble and have a monolith to call my own than to cater to degenerates. Now, what is it you needed to tell me about? Ah. Uh, Slar's face went a slight shade of red. He fair frowned and knew exactly what it was. Some sort of scheme that guaranteed a three-to-one, even four-to-one payout. The house of the die, really, it doesn't matter, Yfer said with a sigh. If you wish to catch up, walk with me, Rikislar. But first, I have to know, why them? An inevitability, Yfair nodded. She understood what he meant. Rikislar was good with math. Unlike all the other houses who focused on specific fields of study around magic, the House of the Die had started with an odd niche: gambling. Even before the treaties, the House of the Die had been a flourishing organization. Most mage houses are simply a group of like-minded mages who look out for one another, pool resources, and share a monolith as their third bond. The House of the Die meets these criteria, but each mage shares a common trait: a desire to get filthy rich. These days, most houses were concerned with creating unique, creative, and inventive spells using the configurations. But the house of the die had taken a different route of study. They strove to understand the laws of the natural world. They didn't waste money trying to make clusters of redstone hold water at an optimal temperature. They studied numbers, patterns, and behaviors. Their houses of chance were abundant and profitable. Their research gave them two advantages. First, the configurations they've devised are inscrutable and unique. If you roll a to die in one of their establishments, they know. If you have a card up your sleeve, they know. If you walk into one of their buildings and your heart rate slightly increases, they know. And second, if you understand numbers and probability when few others do, well, gambling becomes a cakewalk. So, how long, Ifair asked? Not long after you left, actually. Though I've been involved with them for a while, and it has been profitable. It has. It has given me time to perfect my brewing. Ricky Slar fished around in his robes and pulled out a bottle of murky green liquid. Ifair recoiled at the sight of it. Brewing what? Ah, uh, basically anything I can get my hands on. Ifair raised an eyebrow. And how is it? Exceptional! He pulled the cork and the bottle shattered. He stared at his drenched, shard-covered hand, his expression blank. He wiped it on his robe. Well, mostly exceptional. I'll get you a better bottle later. That won't be necessary. What news have you heard of, Ricky Rikislar? Us mages best stick together, you no? Know? The old mage had a strange way of being able to correctly read complex situations. He usually put this to poor use, but he fair figured she'd use it to her advantage while she still could. Ricky Slar looked around and suddenly seemed uncomfortable. Strange times about us. Rumors of the Cardinal of War sailing to Ocean Wall. They're enforcing the rules of the Sacrosanct, if you can believe it. Strange times, strange times. Also, there's this whole mess around 500 Fingers. I've heard that Odras might be sending an Inquisitor. Or worse, I've heard. Indeed. On that note, might I ask, why are you leaving Lake Wall? Students, Yfer said. Students? They don't still have you rounding up new students for the consortium, do they? Yfer nodded. Can't they send anyone to do this? A Major III could easily handle this trouble. But these days, they don't want a mage of the third. This work requires a more subtle touch, deeper knowledge. Things have changed since our days, Rikislar. Classes are larger, more students are sent. Every noble family and small growing township wants a mage. And what, you are being sent to scare them away? Some. But we still want as many as possible, as you and I know and most growing townships and royal families find out, one mage is never enough. Besides, it is in all of our benefits to bolster our numbers. Yfer lowered her voice. How many more bishop granites can we allow before something must be done? I'm surprised anything needs to be done. I expected the mighty Church of Deep Stone to crumble by now. It's grown so large. It's... Cracking under its own weight. But is it any less cracked than the consortium? Each mage pledges an allegiance to their houses. We may be more unified in philosophy, yes, but ask about whether redstone should be used with bluestone in a room full of mages, and our cracks show pretty quick. But no, I don't try and keep people out. Just filter them. I have a few tests I apply. Those that show true potential. I give the hard test. Everyone else gets the simple one. The heart tells me whether or not they could make it to the third, and the other well, someone has to replace cracked stones. Ricky Slar nodded. Well, how is the new blood this year? Exceptional, Efair replied. She scanned the group of students and noticed a familiar absence, a gap at the front where a girl should be sitting. It was the only assigned seat for their evening lessons. She assigned the seating for the same reason she had private lessons with the girl almost every day. Efair sighed. Well, mostly exceptional. The Green Hill Foundling. Two weeks and three days before the departure of the fateful Lake Wall Caravan. The girl cannot read, Father Jurgen repeated, exasperated. He stared down at the orphan's record, waiting for some new piece of information to appear that clarified this strange request. I must admit confusion. He sat back in his expensive throne-like chair and steepled his fingers. The consortium usually has such high standards for the children they want. And we still do, Yfer said with a thin smile. The problem is that you think you can discern what those standards are. Yphair was no stranger to Jurgen, the administrator of Green Hill's orphanage. She had dealt with him multiple times. It only took one look at his office to see where the money from the Fountains of the Deep were directed in his establishment. This made dealing with him very easy. To be clear, orphans are allowed to travel to become mages under the treaties, if certain requirements are met by both sides. This one, though, she does not meet requirements on either side. Now, I am glad to depart with another mouth to feed, but of course, mage rules are rules. Fortunately, this is not the first request of this nature. There are always options to ink new rules. The ink required for this one is quite expensive, though. Jurgen jumped when the bag hit the table with a dull thunk. He reached forward and snatched it up. His eyes widened as he loosened the string and withdrew a small piece of starred opal. Ifeer knew that this simple form of currency was always good for members of the church. The religious value was almost greater than the monetary value. The father smacked his lips. "'I think we have more than a deal here. You are very generous, Master Mage.' "'Good,' Efer said, smiling. "'Well, now that this has been arranged, what other records do you have on her?' "'I have anticipated your request,' Jurgen said, producing several smaller books. "'I asked one of our slates to retrieve other records regarding the child. This is the extent.' Ifeira's heart beat faster at the mention of the Slate. She should have known the Slate would control even the innocuous records of an orphanage. She'd never met a Slate who was careless about their records. This was going to make her next request harder. To make things nice and tidy, satisfy some requirements from my superiors, I am, of course, looking to include all records about this girl in my purchase. Rules are rules, I'm sure you'll understand. Jirgen nodded. We can, of course, produce copies. Originals. The man's face went red. No. Haven't I already paid you enough for such a small trouble? No one will notice. The slates always notice. Always. No, not with the extra scrutiny, especially. I only have a bit more... I do not care, mage. If you want to fill your halls with orphans, so be it. I don't care if they turn up dead in a few weeks. But... "'I will not cross the slate!' "'Jurgen got out of his chair and walked around to Efair. "'He grabbed her by the arm and attempted to pull her out of her seat. "'Ifeir was known in Eero for having a rarely seen but powerful temper. "'Many considered it a weakness. "'She knew it was a strength. "'She had worked hard to keep it fully under control. "'But there are always special occasions. "'Not all priests use the full power of monoliths, or altars as they would call them but they all have access. Their exchange was much stronger, but their bond, much worse. Ifeira thought about this for a split second and dismissed it. It just didn't matter. The consortium's innovation in the use of the node stones had long eclipsed that of the church. Whatever Jurgen had at his disposal, it was nothing compared to a mage of the seventh bond. Ifeira felt that familiar call and answered. She looked at the door to the office It slammed shut. Jurgen jumped back, startled, and then looked at Ifair, trembling. You can't! The treaties are clear! There are always options to ink new rules. Tell me, have you ever used blood for ink? It works surprisingly well. Ifair called a preferred spell for intimidation. Jurgen mm-hmm. let out a cry of confusion, panic, and pain. A normal response to your body suddenly starting to get much hotter. Stop, mate, stop! There's nothing I can do! He said, pulling at his collar. He gritted his teeth. There are things you do not understand, but as you are not privy to, I am protecting both of us. She increased the heat. He wailed. Let's get two things straight. One, I don't need protection. And two, I was asking you as a formality. I'm taking the girl and the records. I, I can't let you. He gasped. The priest stumbled to the window and tried to open it to get some cool air. fair focused. The window stayed firmly shut. Jurgen struggled with it for a few moments before realizing his attempts were futile. He reached into his robe and withdrew the distinctive orange beaded necklace. Not surprising that he would try and call on his altar, he turned his eyes up and began his prayer. You cannot cool yourself, Jurgen. Your altar is antiquated. I am in full control. Ifair increased the heat again, countering whatever prayer he might have uttered. Please, stop! I cannot help you! The Slate, Bishop Granite, she will be here, looking. I could not possibly… I will be blamed! Well, I guess you'd better figure out on how to shift that blame then, Ephair said. She began to pull illusion into the room, making it look like it was warping and twisting a technique to make her victims think they were passing out. It was simple, but reliable. Jurgen moaned, I yield, mage, please, I yield! Take your records you want! Take them, take the child, and go! Ifer ended her influence on the items of the room, and the window slightly opened. Jurgen threw it open the rest of the way, and breathed in the air from the outside. Ifeer walked over to the desk, took the books, as well as the piece of starred opal. Jurgen noticed. Wait, what are you doing? What, did you think you were going to get to keep this after that display? Jurgen's face contorted in anger and he clenched his fists, but kept his mouth shut and continued to fan himself. He watched as Ifehr carefully leaved through each book, tearing out the different pages, referring to the child. You understand what this means for you, right? You have seen the books. You have read our words. You are sacrosanct. Property of the church. I do not fear your cardinals, Yphair said calmly. There is one you might fear. Yfer turned to Jurgen, who put his hand up to his face and pretended to turn a key. Yphair felt the blood drain from her face. Jurgen was obviously satisfied that his comment seemed to hit the mark. Yfer regained her composure, "'That's all right. Shall we ride to old Five Hundred Fingers and tell him together? Hmm? "'I'm sure he will have nothing but rewards and kind words for you.' "'Ephair chuckled to herself as she left. "'Jurgen had been so close to being right, yet so wrong. "'He had no idea the extent of books that Ephair had read. "'There was a cardinal she feared. "'And if that cardinal ever caught her, she'd be dead.' Ricky Slar scratched at his beard thoughtfully. So you paid for an orphan out of your own pocket, and the slate were notified and had no problem with that? That's right, Yfer said with a wry smile. Hmm, well, I'll be damned. But why? Yfer shrugged. I'm a consortium mage. I may not have the backing of an official house, but doing my work I've become... Something unexpected. Caring? Wealthy. Housemages take only a percent of contracts they enact. I, on the other hand, get to keep most of mine. So I have money for the first time in my life and I don't know what to do with it. Now, what are the chances that all the most promising students are always born to the wealthy families? I speak not of education, but raw talent. I want to find those out there... With that untapped, raw talent. But why the risk? Why a girl who can't read? Tilly, Her name is Tilly, And she has... Incredible potential. But still, the time it will take you to arrive, and if she can't read, she will flounder in her studies. You understand that? Maybe. Maybe not. that I- you are the youngest mage ever to achieve the seventh bond. I taught you in school. I saw you. That wasn't something you accomplished by being a bleeding heart for every daydreamer that wanted to be a mage. You did it by choosing your battles, knowing how it was that you could win. So what is it? How does this let you win? Ifeira sniffed. Flattery. Such a simple trick. It was true that she was the youngest ever mage of the seventh, but still, well, when all else fails, give a dog a scrap to keep it away from the feast. I've been to that orphanage a few times. It is a good place to find missing potential. The church doesn't mind a few children becoming mages, in fact, they want it, because they see it as, well, potential to plant spies. I always use the easy exam first, and the hard after if they show promise. A girl stops me as I'm leaving the orphanage, demands to be tested, I've never seen her before, and I'm in a sour mood. I am not proud to say it, but out of spite, I give her the difficult exam. Ah, and she got it right? No, her answers were nearly nonsensical. They contained coherent and correct thoughts, but it was apparent she didn't grasp the question, nor her own answers. I left. It was something about her tenacity. Or the oddity of her answers, I couldn't stop reflecting on that exam. The more I thought about it, the more I thought about her answers, the more familiar they felt. I was three days away when I figured it out. I immediately turned back, paid the proper fees, and that's that. Ricky Slar shook his head. Y- you lost me, Fair. So gibberish and wrong answers is your secret. Not gibberish. And also, not wrong answers. Just wrong answers for this year's test. Huh? They were supposed to be the answers to the previous year? Ifeer shook her head and held up five fingers. Five years. They were answers to the test I had used five years ago. She had been eleven at the time. Has she heard the answers? Or remembered them? I cannot... Comprehend. Ricky Slar's mouth gaped, and he shook his head, as if trying to get this new information to settle. He grinned. Well, Yfer, you are a clever one. I mourn that we were never able to grab you for the House of the Die. You would have flourished. If you think wealth is something you have found as a consortium mage. No matter, though, I am sure you will join the house someday. Yfer smiled, careful with her facial expressions. Maybe I will, she responded. I can see why you are the youngest mage of the seventh ever affair. An impressive mind. And it looks like you're going to give us some even greater minds. This is how the consortium grows, though. You and I, mages with different interests, talking, sharing ideas, purchasing one another's fermented and brewed goods at steeply discounted rates. No, thank you, Rikislahar. He shrugged in a way that said it was worth a shot. As he turned to walk away, Ifair stopped him. But you're right about the first stuff. I will be doing our exchange test with the students in the coming days. Will you help me prepare them? I assume you are continuing to travel? I'd be delighted, Ricky Slar said with a deep bow. It's been a while since I've taught. There are parts I miss. Ifair gave him the details, and he ran off. After the lesson for that day, Ifair returned to her carriage. She paused in front of the rolling vault. Rikislar had been right, of course. Many knew that the church was too large, too fractured, too frail to continue living. Yet, it lived. She had realized the reason for this long ago. A strong thread kept everything tightly fastened together. That thread was the slate. The slate understood the importance of information, of knowledge, of ancient history, Even a majority of the church didn't think this way. The Slate had implemented so many systems that allowed the far rule of Holy Throne. In fact, Ifeer was riding in one via carriage at this very moment. The Slate was the thread, but there was more. Oh yes, there was more. Yfer smiled to herself as she stepped back up into her carriage. As the evening sun sank, the air cooled behind her. Yes, she was confident in her plan. Everything was falling into place. She glanced down at the place where she had hidden her books away for later. She pulled one out. They weren't enough. She would have to get more. Rikislar had been right on many fronts. She truly did want to give her hand-picked students a better life. But she also was not one for charity. She sat down and began to read. A part of her mind focused on a kettle nearby and slowly raised its temperature just enough for a good cup of tea. Thank you for listening. Everything you hear in this show is created by me, Adam Ganong. Every word written, every note played. If the work I am doing here has brought you some joy, some comfort, some entertainment, please consider supporting a solo creator on Patreon. Link to that is in the show notes down below. The Stone Singer Chronicles art is by Peter Bartel. Thank you, Peter. There is a link to his website in the show notes. A special thanks to my wife, Jenna Noor, and my friend, Destructobot. Join the Stone Singer Chronicles Discord to get extra information about the show and officially earn your rank as the Mage of the Third Bond. Again, link to that in the show notes down below. All right, and until next time.